Welcome to another edition of Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. I'm joined again today by former Upper Darby Superintendent Mike Chitwood Sr. and Volusia County, Florida Sheriff Mike Chitwood Jr. And we're talking about uh, what happened in Philadelphia over the last three weeks. And now we're going to talk a little bit about what went on nationally uh, that all touched this off and then continued this across the country, the protests, uh, looting, uh, violence, things like that, that went on. And we both all started agreeing in the first show that the protests had a good cause here. You don't want to say it that Mr. Floyd lost his life, but having seen what happened to him, the protesters had every right to go out there and uh, protest, uh, and the police were out there, should have been out there, and were out there to protect their right to do that. Um, but let me ask uh, both of you, if I can, and I'll defer to Senior first. Uh, when you saw that video of the arrest of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, Superintendent, what were kind of your thoughts looking at that? Well, when you when you first looked at it, you thought to yourself, where is the human compassion of any individual in this particular case of police officer who kneels on the guy's neck and the guy, unfortunately, the victim is saying he can't breathe, he can't breathe, and, and he kept on kneeling. I thought it was horrendous. Uh, I felt very, very strongly at the time that it was a uh, uh, crime that had been committed by the police officer against Mr. Floyd. And, uh, you know, the rest is, is, is history after it occurred. Uh, I mean, uh, the, uh, the protest that, that started out as peaceful and very, very um, functional uh, was lost in the mess that occurred between the rioting and looting and deprivation and murder that occurred throughout the country. Mike Jr., your thoughts when you first saw that, and uh, maybe you can address a little bit the actions of the other three officers who were on hand as well. Yeah, Dave, I wanted to reach through the TV screen and grab the officer. I don't even call him an officer, but I scruffed of his neck and just say, what are you doing? Get off of him. And, uh, and then the other officers that were standing there, you know, in 2017, I had the police executive research forum come in down here. We got elected sheriff, reviewed all of our policies, procedures, training, culture, the whole nine yards. And the first line in our, our use of force policy is the sanctity of human life comes first. The second line is the duty to intervene. Each deputy has a duty to intervene if they see something going sideways. And the third thing is ban all neck and chokeholds. Yeah. Uh, so they're the things that I thought of right away. And, and if, if those three guys get convicted for failure to intervene, it'll send ripples through American policing yeah. and about the duty to intervene. And in fact, uh, this week, the uh, legislature in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is voting on a bill, uh, some police reforms to ban the chokehold statewide uh, to make other police reforms require training and things like that. I had the, uh, and I'm sure you guys know him, Lieutenant George McClay, who used to be at Northwest Detectives, is now the chief in Morrisville, Pennsylvania. And he uh, just uh, kind of not updated but emphasized two directives to his police officers. One is the ban on the chokehold unless it literally is the last possible extent when an officer believes his life is in danger and that you must not only intervene but report, stop, and intervene uh, an officer who is abusing the amount of force that he's using in a situation like that. Mike Sr., your thoughts about 
having officers be responsible to stop another officer if they're in the middle of doing something like that? I, I agree with that uh, concept 100 percent. Let me let me go one step further and sure. tell you what I did for 30, 30 some years as a police chief in different locations. I would always call somebody that I was hiring before they went to the academy. I would call them in and I would sit down one on one and I would tell them, here's my philosophy. Ninety nine, ninety eight percent of the time you're going to win if you practice this philosophy. And the philosophy is as follows. Treat everybody the same way. You want yourself and your family treated. I don't care what they did. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they're from. That's the concept. Now, obviously, there's 2% of the time, no matter what you do, you're not going to win. And that's what you're taught tactics. I believe truly that the police are their own worst enemy. And I say that based on 55 years of experience. Mm. And if, if police treated people the way they want themselves and their families treated, we would win 98% of the time. I'm telling you right now. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, and Mike, you, you had a diverse community up in Upper Darby that you dealt with every single day when you were up there 14, 15 years. Uh, you met with the community. You talked to the every community. Day. Yeah, yeah. You must keep those lines of communication every open. Day, yeah. yeah, yeah. you got to keep you got to keep those lines of communication. You gotta, you gotta keep them positive. That's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's sometimes it's going to be negative, and no matter what you do, it's going to be negative. But right. uh, again, that's what you're, what the, to, that's what you're trained to do. Yeah. All right, Sheriff. Let me uh, move ahead to the situation in Atlanta. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with that as well. A uh, gentleman uh, fell asleep on a drive-through line at a Wendy's. Um, that turned into another situation where a homicide occurred involving uh, that gentleman uh, at the hands of uh, police, and that touched off an entire second wave of situations here. Can you break down that situation a little bit for me and what you saw there and what should have been done there uh, to de-escalate that situation, I guess, so it didn't reach that point? Yeah, you, great question, Dave. And, you know, I think one of the questions that's going to come out of this whole thing is, as, as the federal government, state governments get involved is, what kind of police department do you want? Do you want a police department loaded with warriors? Or do you want a police department that has a guardian mentality? And obviously a guardian mentality would realize when you're handcuffed and you're laying there and say you can't breathe, the objective is to put the guy in the upright position. Right. Uh, Atlanta is, is going to be really interesting because uh, what you see there is, in my opinion, was a complete overcharge. And the Atlanta job is completely separate than the Minneapolis job. You're, you're, you're talking apples and oranges here. Uh, what's interesting is the prosecutor is up for re-election in a runoff, refused to wait for GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, to finish right. the report. Uh, in Georgia law, the you know use the use of a taser is considered a deadly weapon. Uh, and I didn't know that you can be arrested for policy violations, which it seems he built that case on was policy violations. Is there a better way, hindsight being 2020, to do anything? Absolutely. But charging first-degree murder? Uh, I think this guy put himself out there on the limb, and he's going to cause more problems and not get to a solution because of that. He politicized that incident instead of following the law. Could, could he have gotten a manslaughter charge? I, I bet you he could have. Yeah. Now, let me, let, let me ask both of you about de-escalating that situation from the jump. Uh, I, I realize the, the gentleman involved here, the victim here, um, the, the, the man who was in the line uh, – 
turned violent on the officers and they were trying to, um, I guess, make an arrest there on a DUI situation. But was there a way to de-escalate that or did it just jump off too quickly that, that that's tough to do in a situation like that? I, I, I think the de-escalation tactic uh, was too quick. It happened so fast mm. and such a, they didn't even have time to talk to this guy. Boom, he, he did what he did. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll go one step further, though. I mean, I've been tased. My son has been tased. Mm-hmm. You know what? It ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. I didn't die. <laughs> My son didn't die. Uh, I remember when you got tased. You know, a guy gets shot twice in the back. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough one to, to justify. Uh, First degree murder. I don't believe that. Like Michael said, I don't believe that's uh, no. the charge, but. Uh, justifying the actions of the police uh, after the guy stole the taser. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, again, I don't know all the facts, but based on the video and based on what's been made public, yeah. uh, I don't think the officer should have shot the guy twice in the back. Okay. Let me um, shift. You know, so David goes back yeah, to the ahead. one thing, Dave, real quick. Yeah, sure. You know, they spent 41 minutes with him. Mm-hmm. They did the field sobriety test. He knew he was drinking. And he knew that he had back time coming. And then when he when they went to cuff him is when all hell broke loose. So, uh, you know, I think that they, when you watch the entire video, they did everything that they could do. Who knew that they were going to be fighting this guy and, and this guy actually was going to win the fight? You know, that, so it goes back. People don't want to look. It goes back to his original actions. It's always the cops get blamed afterwards. How about his actions that contributed to this? Okay. Let me um, shift gears a little bit. Uh, we talked about the... 2016 convention here in Philadelphia and uh, all the planning and stuff that went into that. There are some groups that uh, I'll call them agitators for now. I won't name them specifically who uh, have made a profession of coming into cities like Philadelphia where there are big events like that. And uh, they're usually up in the front uh, poking at the police, causing problems with the police. And they are kind of the groups that touch off some of the violence and uh, situations that go on and 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 while the protesters are out there doing their thing protesting sending their message these groups clearly have another agenda uh you've seen some of the stuff that's been going on in seattle and around the country uh some of these groups have been mentioned by the president antifa i believe has been mentioned a couple of others um what about agitators who kind of come into a city where there's going to be a big event uh to kind of ramp it up a little bit. Uh, Mike Sr., your thoughts on groups like that. Should the FBI trying to f- find out who's running this kind of thing and why are they doing this and who's behind it kind of thing? I know here in Philly, the Joint Terrorism Task Force is looking into uh, some of that in particular and trying to see who puts these plans together to agitate the police and, and touch off the violence. The first thing is everybody's got a camera. I don't care where you go, what you do, everybody's got a camera. So the first thing is you want to identify these individuals who are committing crime is basically what they're doing there. They're committing crime. They're committing assault. They're committing riot. They're committing burglary. They're committing arson. If they're committing a crime, you arrest them. Now, if you can't arrest them for some reason, and I can only guess what the reason would be, manpower outnumbered by protesters, whatever it is, 
then you need the intelligence piece, the FBI, the Joint Terrorism Task Forces. You need to identify these individuals, and you need to put these individuals in jail where they belong. Because if they're out on the street, they're only going to take what's a peaceful uh, protest and make it into a riot situation. I see it over and over and over again. And then when you look across the country, I mean, I was watching that Seattle this morning. I got sick in the stomach. I had to turn the TV off uh, because it just doesn't make any sense. And, and yet we as a society are afraid, in my opinion, to take the action because we're going to be criticized if we take the action that's appropriate. Sheriff, let me ask you, intelligence is a, a, a big part of preparing for these kind of things. And what struck me over the past four years since the convention here in 2016 is, has there been any move to identify the individuals in Philadelphia from some of these groups who, who uh, appear to be intent on causing problems more than protesting? How important is the intelligence piece of staying on top of groups like that that might come in, travel into your city, and, and cause problems in your city? It's absolutely paramount, Dave. Uh, you know, one of the lessons learned with the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore were they were the, the protesters, the agitators, the, the violent people were moving their resources to counter the police movements. They knew by monitoring police radio that, okay, there's a band of officers headed to intersection A. Mm-hmm. We're going to go three blocks away and now flank them and start, start the issue here. You know, I look back to the RNC and uh, – Back in 2000, right. and we stumbled across a warehouse uh, for, I guess it was normal, that had boxes and boxes of ball bearings and slingshots and costumes. Yep, out in your area, uh, southwest, nobody, out there in West Philly, right? right? Correct. Yeah, I was there. It, well, the the uh, that was in Center City was where the the warehouse was. It was up yep. on it was on uh, in the 1300 block of Sampson. It was a, a vacant mm-hmm. uh, uh, building. Yeah, and that's where they had all their stuff, and we we stumbled across it by accident, which I think. Was, was lucky, but the intel of who's coming in and who's controlling the thing is paramount in your planning. Uh, you know, we have a Central Florida Intelligence Exchange here yeah. that every day we're getting updates on what's coming in, what to look forward to, and put it into your, into your operational plans. Yeah, this week, in fact, there were a couple of protests going on. The police uh, uncovered down in South Philadelphia, uh, like piles of bricks at yep. certain side streets and things like that, that were quickly gathered up by the police before the day before these protests so that they couldn't be used. Now, some of them might have been there legitimately for building projects. Uh, I believe their plan was to return them if that was the case. But th- that's the kind of moves you must take in advance, am I right, of a situation like that? You're right, Dave. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And we did it. We had a downtown Deland here, which is the county seed, had a really big protest. And we were told Antifa was coming in, which they, they, they did. And that's what we were sweeping the side streets and everywhere else to see where bricks, bottles, potential firebomb uh, material was placed. Yeah. To, to stay one step ahead. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I know Mike uh, Jr. You have to get off to testify before conf- before Congress uh, via Zoom, I believe. But I want to ask you about the the cry to defund the police. Uh, Mike uh, Jr. Let's start with you, since you you have to get off the line. Then I'll talk with your dad. Um, your thoughts as an active sheriff in charge of a very large department. Uh, your thoughts about defunding the police or shifting funds. From the police to other areas. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, Dave, real quick. I have a thousand employees, $94 million budget. 80% of my budget is human resources. That's the men and women to go out there and go to work every day. 
That leaves me 20% wiggle room for training, technology, and community engagement. There, there is not if, – if you go in and cut from me, the only thing you could cut from me is manpower. Yeah. And to give you an example, last week, I, I, seven residents from seven different parts of this county – and my county is the size of Rhode Island – uh, geographically, have come to me and said, we want more police in, in the neighborhood to enforce traffic. Where tra- they're all traffic complaints. So <laughs> the, the size of this department hasn't changed since 1978, and, and the population has uh, almost doubled in size, and you want to come and take monies that we just don't have to perform the basic functions. Okay. Uh, Mike Sr., can I ask you, shift? let me ask your thoughts on defunding the police and or shifting the money to use for more community programs, things like that. In Philadelphia, they're talking about a $33 million cut. Uh, they were going to get $14 million more, and I believe it's a $19 million cut on top of that that they're looking at. Your thoughts on that? I, I, I'm totally against anything like that. There's not a police chief in America that doesn't want more manpower, and doesn't want more budget monies to do whatever he or she has to do. Hmm. I don't care where you go. There's nobody saying, well, you know what? I think I'll give up 100 officers, and I think I'll give up uh, $10 million. It's not going to happen. Just like Michael said earlier, the overwhelming percentage, overwhelming percentage of every law enforcement agency is human resources. The payroll, the benefits, whatever the officers uh, negotiated in the contract. I would assume leaving you with yeah. a small percentage. Yeah. Leaving you with a small percentage to train uh, and technology and all the other incidentals that uh, have to keep our community safe. All right. One last question for uh, Sheriff, because I know you got to get off. But let me ask you quickly. I'm, assu- I'm assuming you're also in favor of more community-based programs for kids, stuff like that, to try and keep them out of trouble. But the municipalities and the governing bodies need to come up with that money somewhere else, not take it from the police department. Would that be your position there? I think he already got off. Okay, well, let's, uh, Mike, uh, I, get your thoughts. I, I think that any anything that you can do to engage our youth, to engage the community, we should do whether it's the community policing, whether it's Citizens Police Academy, whether it's schools, any, anything we can do, I agree with 100%. But imagine, imagine one day without police. Imagine one day without police when you see, you know, 100 people shot in Chicago, 14 killed over the weekend. Mm. Give me a break. Give me a break. What, what, is a social worker going to go out there at three o'clock in the morning, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Now, can those resources uh, be blended together? Probably, in certain occasions, they can. Yeah. But when it comes to the violent, predatorial nature of crime, you need police to keep the community safe. And what community are we talking about? We're talking about the communities that need it most: yeah. uh, the poor, the underprivileged. They're the ones that need the police officers more than anybody else. Yeah, and I go back to your statement you made earlier in the, on our first show about treat people the way you want to be treated. And I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to see the circle get bigger, not get smaller. Um, and that's a Absolutely. problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me ask you, uh, Mike, uh, we'll, do this, Absolutely. Uh, we'll do this for our, our last question. But um, uh, look down the road a little bit for me here uh, in Philadelphia and maybe across the country. I'm aware from talking to some folks at the – FOP here in Philadelphia that 50 
officers have signed up for retirement in the last month in the wake of all this, and 200 others have inquired about uh, joining the DROP program, which is a pension-related program, and or retirement. Do you see as a result of this and as a result of the microscope that is on police again, the spotlight that's on them, do you see more of this? Do you see people leaving the ranks? And do you see young people wanting to come on the ranks? What do do you think is going to happen? What's the future here if you look in your crystal ball? If a crystal ball were present, the first thing I would say to you is the police officers are not getting the appropriate support from the political leaderships in their different communities. That's the first thing. The second thing is, why do I want this aggravation? I'm eligible to retire. I can retire. I'm out of here. And the third thing is, nobody wants to be a police officer. Nobody wants to be a police officer. And that's the the problem that we're starting to see across the country. And, you know, I was very, very lucky I spent 55 years in law enforcement. I loved every day of it. I loved every day of it. That's a long time. There ain't a whole lot of people that can say that. Yeah. But I was 14. And my son's the same way. He's got like 33 years in, in the job, and he loves it. But again, we're an anomaly when it comes to, to, to looking at the, at the profession and saying this is a great profession. It's not. It's yeah. no longer not. And, and I blame... I blame the political leadership for it. And, and Mike, I've known you for a long, long time, and your son. uh, I'm sure the reason you got in the police department was not just because it was a a good job and paid well and had good benefits, but you wanted to help people. And uh, that, I believe— When I got in, it it didn't didn't pay well. It didn't pay well then, but maybe at the (laughs) end it did. But but, but my point is that you get in it because you want to help, right? You you want to— uphold the law and help people. I think the majority of men and women that go into law enforcement are are committed to helping them. It's almost like a social worker type mentality. It really is. You know, uh, it's a different type of uh, environment, but it's the same. It's the same result at the end. You want to help people. Yeah. And and that's why you get to it. And you agree. You you also want to weed out the bad apples. Am I right about that? Officers who misuse force, things like that, don't respect other people's rights, those kind of things. You you can't have them in a department. It's a cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, And again, I think that in this day and age between the federal government, the state government, the local government, those bad apples are being weeded out. Those get the facts. Let everything occur. Make sure you got everything. Just don't haphazardly take advantage of uh, locking a police officer up when he or she maybe should have been locked up. You know. Yeah. You can investigate first, but there's there's nobody hiding anything. Not his. I don't know what the process. My Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, I just wanted to thank you. Uh, as I've said, uh, we've known each other for a long time. I've covered you sometimes two and three times a week when you were superintendent in Upper Darby, and I greatly appreciate not only uh, uh, your professionalism all the years, and uh, but your relationship with uh, the reporters at my station and the other uh, reporters. We could always count on you to be to be there when we needed somebody to talk to, an expert. Uh, I also want to thank you for your son, who uh, was a great cop here in Philly when he was uh, – 
doing his thing out in Southwest and has moved on to bigger and better things in Daytona and uh, now in Volusia County. And I thank both of you guys for for coming on the show and talking about controversial issues that are not easy to talk about. You know, you can take a little bit of hit for some things we say here and there, but you're entitled to your opinion and 85 years plus experience. I think the Chitwoods uh, have uh, some pretty good opinions. Absolutely. All right, Thanks, Mike. Dave. I appreciate everything. Thanks for coming on and enjoy it down there in Florida in retirement. I'm trying to do it myself. Uh, that's going to be it for this week. I'm Dave Schratweiser. Thanks for listening to Philly Prime, and we'll see you next time.